Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 34th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in our world of financial markets and financial planning. So uh, Matt is out today, uh, but for the second week in a row, we have a special guest joining the podcast. So joining this week is Ashby Daniels. Ashby is a financial advisor in the Pittsburgh area with Shorebridge Wealth Management. And he also has his own blog called The Retirement Field Guide, which we have discussed multiple times before on this podcast. So I'm really excited to have Ashby on the podcast this morning because I'm a big fan of his blog and reading his stuff every week and the material he puts out. Um, and I think everyone who listens will get a lot out of this. So good morning to you, Ashby. Morning, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess just to start out, do you want to just kind of take a couple minutes and um, just do an intro to you and your background, kind of your ind industry experience and uh, currently what you're doing, and then we'll get into kind of how and why you started the Retirement Field Guide. Yeah, I'd love to. The So I've this is my 12th year in the business. Um, I've been a personal financial advisor since, the, since day one. Um, you know, I started with a, a different firm. I uh, was with them for about 10 years. And then a couple years ago, I transitioned over to Shorebridge Wealth Management. Uh, and basically, probably my, I don't know, seventh or eighth year in the business, I decided I wanted to work with pretty much nothing but retirees, exclusively retirees and or people that are transitioning into retirement. And so from there, you know, I, I really just put my, you know, my heart and soul into learning everything I can learn about retirement and, and the issues that people face as they transition into retirement. And so then a couple of years ago when I joined Shorebridge, I started you know, the blog, the retirement field guide. And, uh, you know, just as a way to continue to put information out that I thought would be valuable. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the stuff that's out there, uh, there's some really, really great writers, but there's also a lot of stuff that I think tends to go over people's heads. Um, so my goal is really to to be uh, hopefully a very easy to understand uh, blog that that people can come to and reference, and uh, and hopefully just really get some some high quality information in a in a format that's pretty easy to understand. So that's that's really my end goal. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that really jives well what we've kind of tried to do with this podcast is that there's so much out there that, um, you know, people can listen to on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's put out in a way that is very confusing for a lot of people. So, you know, when Matt and I wanted to start this podcast, we were like, hey, what can we do to kind of break it down and make things simple to understand, like you said, for people because I think that's one of the barriers to people even looking at their personal finance or thinking about retirement is they think that it's so difficult and so challenging that they just delay it until the point where it becomes a huge problem. Well, it's funny that you say that because as, as, as you're saying that, and I was thinking about what I said is that, you know, there's, there's the combination, there's really, it's, it's almost like a dichotomy. There's, 
the people who think that this is way too complicated and and want want more simplified uh, approach or a more you know easier to understand answers, and then you have the other people who think this is also easy and don't understand why you know people hire advisors at all. <laughs> right. And uh, you know they a lot of them find their way back to an advisor because they realize it's not all it's cracked up to be. But um, right. you know it's just kind of interesting. It's an interesting scenario. Yeah, it is. It is. And so I guess staying on that topic, Ashby, um, I think today we wanted to discuss um, some major changes in regards to the passage of the SECURE Act. Um, And I think this is a good topic for listeners because A, um, they haven't heard of it before, or B, they don't understand it like we were just talking about. So obviously this has been a hot topic in our industry and talked a lot about in, you know, our universe, especially, you know, on finance, Twitter and stuff. But the other everyday person isn't necessarily following the same people me and you are. Um, So I think it's important for us to convey what this means for listeners and specifically retirees and people nearing retirement. Um, so you wrote a really good blog post on this subject that kind of sparked this topic for us. And um, for listeners, again, Ashby's blog is called The Retirement Field Guide. And this specific blog post is titled um, How the Secure Act Impacts Retirement Planning. So go ahead and check that out uh, if you haven't already. Um, so I guess the first thing we'll kind of dig into, if that's okay, Ashby, is the elimination of the stretch IRA provision in favor of the 10-year distribution rule. Um, so first, could you kind of just do a brief overview for what the, the stretch IRA provision even was for people to kind of get an understanding of that? Sure. So the stretch IRA provision, just for what it's worth, is let's say that you are you know, the owner of an IRA, you pass away and you give it to, you know, your IRA beneficiary is your child who is, let's just say for you know, sake of example, 30 years younger than you are. So that person, let's just say that you're 85 and you pass, the child is now 55. Uh, so that child that would have been the inheritor of your IRA would have been the beneficiary of your IRA would be able to stretch the uh, distributions over the course of their life. Um, Now, obviously, it's based on an IRS life expectancy table. It's not actually their actual life expectancy because hopefully none of us know when that they come (laughs) in advance. But the idea being that they could basically stretch it over their lifetime. So that's why it was called a stretch IRA. And what happened as a result of the passage of the SECURE Act is that now Oh, and by the way, so those people who are stretching it, they had to take distributions each and every year. Um, what changed with the SECURE Act is now they changed the rules from being a, over the life expectancy of the beneficiary to being a, a requirement that it must be distributed by the end of the 10th year following the date, the year of death. So now there's no what's interesting about it is that there are no required distributions at all um up until the end of the 10th year now you can take as much of it as you want you can you can take it all in year one you can take it all in year 10 or you can take a tenth of it every year um you know it doesn't really matter the key is just that the account has to be liquidated by the end of the 10th year so that's kind of the the just the basis of it 
Right, exactly. Um, so, which, you know, like you kind of just mentioned, could cause huge tax consequences for people if they truly, you know, if they're not working with an advisor or if they just don't understand this, then, you know, year 10 rolls around and they could have a distribution of, say, $100,000 that's going to be taxed at their ordinary income tax rate. Um, so yeah, it's, that, that, it's, that could be, it's that could be significant for a lot of people if they don't, if they don't realize it, because nobody's going to make them take the money out. You have to be proactive about it for sure. Right. And I think that's the thing is that people have to be a lot more proactive about this now than they have been in the past. And there are some provisions to this. So, um, you can still stretch it over your life. If you're the spouse, um, if you're chronically ill, um, disabled as defined by the IRS and a couple other things. But, you know, for most people, like if they want to leave money to their kids, you know, this completely changes the game. So um, definitely something, you know, people need to keep an eye on. And I guess staying on the tax part of it for a second, Ashby, like what are some ways that you think that people can kind of minimize their tax bill with this new 10 year rule? So they're not hit with, you know, the tax bill in year 10, um, if they're paying attention to this. Yes. Thanks for pointing out that first part, Mark, that I, I missed, uh, was the idea that the spouse does not have a 10 year rule. The spouse can still withdraw it over their lifetime. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, as far as ways to minimize the tax bill. So unfortunately there's not a lot of ways to minimize the tax bill for the owner of the IRA, but you can minimize the tax bill for the beneficiaries. So one way you could do that is, is something that, you know, invariably you discuss with your clients is that of Roth conversions. So if you're the IRA owner, you can actually convert your traditional IRA uh, over to a Roth IRA. What that means is if you want to convert $100,000 this year, just as an example, you would pay taxes on $100,000, but then that $100,000 would then go into a Roth IRA, which now is tax will, will now grow tax free for the remainder of your life. And then once your kids inherit it, if they get that hundred thousand, they do not pay anything. Um, whether they take it all out in year one or they want to let it grow tax free until the 10th year, and then they can take it out then. So it, while it won't necessarily reduce your tax bill, uh, well, I guess technically it could because if tax rates go up from here, right. you know, Theoretically, you could be saving taxes as well, but you know, but who knows what's going to happen with that, right? <laughs> the future is never guaranteed, right? So no. Um, but if you have children who are in high tax brackets, uh, yeah, this can be a significant savings to them if you were to go ahead and do Roth conversions, particularly if you're already in retirement and in a low tax bracket. Um, the other idea would be, and this is specifically to the beneficiary of. Uh, of an IRA is you take distributions more intelligently. So when we're doing Roth conversions, we're typically managing tax brackets. You know, we're going to fill up a tax bracket uh, using those distributions. And then, you know, any amounts we want to convert, maybe we roll those into the next year. And the idea being that we're going to vary and we're going to manage the tax brackets. We're going to manage your income to deal with the, your situation with regard to taxes. So if you were going to wanted to kind of build out a strategy for distributing IRA dollars, you would want to run out some scenarios of, you know, what, if I take this amount each year for 10 years and then annually you would want to revisit that strategy because obviously you have changes in the market, you have changes in your personal tax situation and so forth. But basically using uh, kind of more intelligent distributions. Um, 
The third one I would say is, and this is this is a one-off, and I, I and I should say this outright. I know you probably have a disclaimer on the site, but none of this is advice. Just to be very right. clear. Um, but another idea is to take required minimum distributions and use those funds to purchase life insurance. So the idea, the benefit of life insurance is that uh, from a federal perspective, I, I mean, as long as your uh, estate is less than, you know, more than 20 million, uh, which yeah. would encompass most people, uh, certainly if you purchase, use your required minimum distributions to purchase a life insurance policy, life insurance passes tax-free and is actually free of any taxes immediately. So. So your beneficiary would then get, it's, it's kind of a way of leveraging your required minimum distributions anyway. So it's actually a pretty interesting strategy. And I say all this, I don't sell life insurance. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a, but it's an interesting way to go about using your after-tax required minimum distributions while at the same time, you know, not putting any additional tax bill like you would under the Roth conversions or otherwise. So, mm-hmm. um, and then Lastly, if you have uh, if you have children who are, let's just say, very savvy financially speaking, then maybe you just you just do the life insurance. But if you mm-hmm. have children who are kind of more spendthrifts, uh, you could actually have you could actually create a trust, have the have the trust purchase life insurance, use mm-hmm. your RMD to fund the trust, and then voila, you've kind of created a stretch IRA uh, on your own. Uh, but just using a different tool. Yeah. So those are those are a few ways to do it. And then, you know, the only other way is if you're charitably inclined, you know, you could leave your, you know, it's a matter of who you're leaving which assets. So you can right. leave, I didn't mention this in the blog post. I, I didn't realize until after the fact, but you can leave <laughs> your IRA dollars to, to charity and you could, you know, move the other assets over to your children and otherwise, and that avoids a lot of the tax consequences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it really depends on the person to person because I'm sure you've met with people as we have that, um, you know, there's people that it's very, very important to them that they're passing on money to the next generation very efficiently. And then there's other people that are like, I don't want a single penny in my account (laughs) by the time I go six feet in the ground. Um, So again, it's kind of, you got to figure out what your desires are and then kind of figure out your game plan and kind of go through the checklist that you kind of went through uh, after you know what your desires are, I think. Totally. Um, So you kind of mentioned having a, so we talked about the trust a little bit and some people, um, at least before the secure act, uh, it was somewhat popular to have a see-through trust as a beneficiary of an IRA. Um, Now, obviously, you know, that, trust language needs to be updated, number one, because it probably has provisions in there dealing with RMDs, which are no longer with a beneficiary IRA. Um, So in your opinion, is there, you know, is there still a point in having a trust as a beneficiary of an IRA anymore? Um, If, you know, your kids are of the age of majority and responsible in your mind with, with finances, and they don't think they would abuse, you know, your assets if something were to happen to them. Well, it's kind of, in my opinion, the trusts are slightly overused to begin with. Um, so even even under the old laws, I, I felt that probably trusts were probably a little bit overused to begin with. But yeah, I agree. Trusts are probably uh, even less interesting now because of the issues associated with it. So as an example, as you you know mentioned, Mark, the idea of you know a lot of trusts had 
some sort of language with regard to access to RMDs. And that was the trust language, basically, that the beneficiary could withdraw the RMDs. Well, you know, the issue is with the SECURE Act, there are no RMDs until the 10th year. So what happens is the children you maybe were hoping to provide for utilizing the trust not only don't have access to the funds for a period of 10 years, but then once the 10th year gets here, now voila, you have an enormous tax bill. So right. trusts are probably, you know, to your point, trusts are probably even less interesting now than I think they were to begin with, and they were already overused, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree too. And I think a lot of it is from, you know, clients meeting with, you know, their attorneys and their attorneys maybe recommending this. And maybe it's that the attorney's not really aware of all the consequences of doing something like that. But, you know, my take on it and my opinion on it is that if you have an IRA, you have a listed beneficiary, that beneficiary is of the age of majority and financially responsible, then I think you just keep it just to a beneficiary. Um, I think it simplifies things for most people. And obviously you're going to have your one-offs where a trust makes more sense, but, but I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah. And you know, I think that uh, the place where a trust can really help is if you have children who either aren't able to care for themselves or uh, just are spendthrifts and you worry about them financially speaking, there are certainly places for trust at just, Probably as a general rule, not what most people should do. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so the second thing that I wanted to touch on was the required minimum distribution age moved back from 70 and a half to 72. And I think this is probably pretty straightforward for people to understand. So instead of taking a required minimum distribution at 70 and a half, they can enjoy another year and a half of tax deferred growth in, in their retirement accounts. Um, but is there anything else regarding this that people should be aware of? No, I mean, as long you know, I think it. one thing that went unstated that I think confuses people is, does this change the age at which they can start taking distributions? And that, that was left unchanged at age 59 and a half. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think it's pretty straightforward. As long as you turn 70 and a half in 2020 or later, uh, then you can give yourself another year and a half of uh, deferred growth, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and you're, you should be good to go. So yeah, extra year, year and a half of growth, hopefully. Yeah. And I think it makes it easier for people to understand too, that it's like a full number instead of like a half. <laughs> it's just I'm, like, so people like reading it. I remember when I like first came into the industry, I remember reading it over and over and I was like, wait, I'm like trying to understand this correctly, but why isn't it just a whole number? Um, so even just from that standpoint, I think that's beneficial for people. They like to make things unnecessarily complicated, I think. Yes, I think they do as well. Um, and the third thing was, um, I think, which is huge for people because I think people are beginning to work uh, longer and longer now. And it was just the other day, I think I was listening to uh, the Animal Spirits podcast with mm -hmm. um, Ben Carlson and Michael Batnick. And uh, they had a chart in the show notes that showed the amount of people um, past the age of 65 that are still working now. And what was interesting was that like way back, like 1950s, early 1900s, there was a large amount of people over 65 that were still working. But from the early 1900s up to 2000, that number decreased significantly, but is back on the rise. Um, and now with the SECURE Act passing, people can continue to 
contribute to a traditional IRA be beyond the age of 70 and a half if they're still working, um, whereas before they were not allowed to. 70 and a half was the age cap on contributing to an individual retirement account. Yeah, the that's a pretty nice benefit, the ability to you know contribute tax deferred into your IRA beyond age 70 and a half. I mean, Roth IRAs have never had that rule. Uh, but traditional IRAs always have. So it's been, it's, it's really nice. I mean, I, I don't know about your clients, but I have plenty of clients who are quote retired, but now they do consulting. And so, yeah. you know, they, yep. they still make a significant income, mm -hmm. uh, even though they may be 70, 72, 75, you know, even into their, you know, late seventies and eighties at times, um, where they're still quote working, even though they're retired. So this, this certainly opens up the ability to continue to put some money away, at least uh, you know, so I, I'm very pro any rule that allows people to, uh, put more money away or uh, allow their money to sit there and grow. I mean, the thing is you can always take money out. So like, it's not hurting anybody allowing people to do this. It can only help. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then the one kind of thing with it though, is that, you know, for example, let's say someone's still working at age 75 and they're continuing to make IRA contributions, but they're also required um, you know, to take money out of their, their IRA because, um, you know, the still working provision is only applicable to, you know, employer sponsored plans that have that language in their plan document. Um, so how does that work? You think? So, you know, well, it, I think that's an interesting one. It's a little bit like, you know, plugging off a fist size hole in a boat with one finger. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it really doesn't do you a lot of good, but at the same time, I mean, Every little bit helps. So, yeah. you know, the idea is that, you know, that's the, that's the way the IRS wrote the rules. I was hoping they would have done it a little bit differently, but, um, you know, every little bit helps. So yeah, I think, not, I not think so lot, too. Not a lot more you can do about it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and then this is kind of just, you know, just for fun for listeners, I think, because I think for the past, however, 30 some weeks, people have just been listening to me and Matt talk. And I think it's <laughs> nice to have <laughs> a, uh, which I hope they like us, but um, it's nice to have a fresh voice on this. And, um, you know, I always like to ask other people in our industry, this is, you know, do you have like a top two favorite financial planning tips that kind of you swear by for your clients? And I read your blog post on IRA mistakes and that's kind of um, what made me spark this question. So I was just curious to see if you had a couple of bits for people uh, that you usually like to give. I, I love that question. Because everybody I work with is at or nearing retirement, I've seen my two probably top for favorite tips are going to be retirement focused. But one is to really put together a very specific, most, most people go into retirement and they don't really know how much they're planning to spend. They either use a rule of thumb of say 75% of pre-retirement you know, pre income or whatever. You know, to me, it's very, very, very valuable to get really clear about what your expenses are that you currently have that are going to follow you into retirement. Uh, you know, pretty easily things like groceries, utilities, you know, car payments, things like that. And then add in things that don't currently exist that you expect to exist. I mean, you, you're probably going to take more than your typical two weeks of vacations. You're probably going to play, you're probably going to play more golf or do more of whatever hobbies it is. So get very clear on what you expect to spend in retirement and then probably add a 20% buffer. 
I was um, just going to say, yeah, if you, you know, didn't say it, I was going to say that as well. <laughs> you know, so don't, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's probably tip number one. And then number two might not be far from the, from, uh, might not fall far from the tree is to try to get in, go into retirement with a mortgage free home. You know, if you don't have significant pension incomes, which is becoming less and less common by the day, you know, I think one of the defining differences between retirees and, you know, kind of their accompanying stress levels is whether or not they have a mortgage free home. So maybe that means you work a little longer to pay that off. Maybe that means that you take some out of your portfolio that you might not have ordinarily done and pay it off. But I think one of the best things a retiree can do, uh, especially with regard to stress levels, is to move into retirement without a mortgage. So whatever you got to do to get there, I think I can see a very clear delineation between somebody with a mortgage-free home and somebody who still has one. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's beneficial, especially if people want to, you know, take a distribution to pay it off or whatever now than it has been in the past with interest rates so low. Um, so I think it, it may, that makes a lot more sense in today's day and age than it would have, you know, 15, 20, 20 years ago where I've talked to, you know, family members and grandparents that said, I remember when my mortgage was like, my interest rate was 14%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's certainly not right for everybody. I mean, there's plenty of people who have more than enough money to, to carry that mortgage and, and it's a, it's a nice interest rate arbitrage to play. Uh, but for, for a lot of people having that mortgage-free home offers some peace of mind that they may not have otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And frees up cash flow and gives you another, um, you know, full equity asset that you have, um, you know, in retirement. So I think that's great. Um, but Hey, thank you so much, Ashby for, for coming on the podcast. We, we love your stuff and, um, really appreciate your time this morning. So I think, uh, people are going to get a lot out of this and, uh, maybe, you know, couple months down the road, we'll have you back on to maybe talk about some more of this secure act, because I think even for us, um, a lot of this stuff, there's still several unknowns, I think, in my opinion that, you know, and again, in my opinion, I think the IRS should have addressed right when this came out. Um, but it's going to be kind of a wait and see type of thing. So maybe um, a couple months down the road, we can have you back on to kind of hash out some more of this stuff. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, it'll be interesting to see you know, get, it'd be interesting to get more clarification around all of it. So that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, thanks everyone for tuning in for this episode of the independent advisors podcast. Matt and I will be, uh, back with you next week on our regular schedule. So, uh, have a good rest of the week and a good weekend, everybody. for listening to the independent advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the independent advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line 
to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com. And we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.